Well, good morning. Good to be back again. Um, good to spend some time together in the Word. If you don't have a Bible this morning, just put your hand up if, if you like one of these things, the physical thing. There's also in your bulletin, there's a sheet that has the verses, many of the verses we'll be reading today, so you can look at that, or you can just use your phone. It is good to be back. As uh, Bob mentioned, we are leaving tomorrow, and it's been about two months that we've been back in the States, which has been really good. And a lot of stuff going on, lots of people we've seen, lots of things we've done. Uh, we're tired, so we're going to go back to China for vacation. It's kind of weird how that works. But uh, it has been good to be back to fellowship with you all. Um, we're thankful so much for your partnership with us as we, we go back to China. This morning, um, we're going to be once again in the book of Acts. This week, it's chapter 14. So if you want, you could turn there. We're going to look at the story of Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. It's actually part two of this really super short series that, that was started two weeks ago when I was here. Uh, we talked about turbulence. Was anybody here for that? Do you remember that? Some of you? Great. Uh, if you remember, we talked about turbulence, especially on an airplane. And some of you know that. Maybe you know it all too well. Uh, you know, you're flying along, and then all of a sudden, boom, you start getting getting bounced around and tossed and turned all over the place. The thing about turbulence on an airplane, a couple of things. One, you don't know when it's coming. You don't know when it's going to end. It can end at any time. It can strike you at the most inopportune times. So, you know, when you're getting your drink, it might get spilled all over you. It can be scary. It reminds us that we're not in control. And that in itself can be very scary. And then, of course, it might make us throw up, which is why we have our barf bags in the front of the seat in front of us. Uh, we talked about turbulence being a fact of life when it comes to flying, but then also that turbulence is actually a fact of life when it comes to life. That at times our lives can be very turbulent, tossed and turned all over the place, thrown up in the air. Everything's smooth. We think we're settled into our seat and everything's comfortable. And then all of a sudden, boom. We hit turbulence. Something happens that we can't control, something we weren't expecting. We don't know when it's going to end. It can be very scary. Turbulence in our lives. If you remember, I said as well that as a Christian, my prayer is not, Lord, please keep turbulence from me. Uh, because if we are act actually following Jesus well and closely, we can expect nothing less than turbulence. Just as he faced a ton of turbulence in life, so will we as his followers. And so I'm not praying, save me from turbulence, um, but rather my prayer is, Lord, in the midst of turbulence, teach me how to live well. Teach me how to honor you in the way that I live and face the difficulty that I face. My prayer is that I would live out this truth. The truth that following Jesus, following hard after him, is way more valuable and more important to me than to have a comfortable, turbulent, free life. I hope that's true for all of us. That we want to go hard after the Lord. Come what may. We talked about Peter's imprisonment in Acts chapter 12. Remember, Peter ended up in prison. Uh, we talked about living fearlessly in the face of turbulence, praying expectantly, 
the believers, they gathered together and they prayed for Peter. And then always remembering, in the end, God wins. Peter was supposed to be executed. He wasn't executed. Instead, it was the guards who were guarding him. And then eventually it was Herod himself who took the fall for all of that. In the end, God wins. And it's important to remember that. If you weren't here two weeks ago, no worries. You just caught the entire sermon in two minutes. So, nice. Okay, so today we're going to be moving two chapters beyond. Uh, We were in Acts chapter 12. Today we're in Acts chapter 14. And as I mentioned, this is Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. Uh, There were actually four missionary journeys that Paul went on. The fourth took him directly to Rome, where he was executed. So if we want to talk about turbulence, that's pretty turbulent. The first missionary journey, which we're talking about today, involved Paul and Barnabas traveling around a number of different cities in what was then called Asia Minor. Today it is Turkey. So um, you can kind of see from this map, they started in Antioch, they went to Cyprus, And then they traveled around a few of these cities in modern-day Turkey. He actually went all the way to Derby, and then he backtracked all the way back. That was essentially the first missionary journey. And on these journeys, you would have Paul and his companions going into the city, and they would be talking about Jesus. They would often go to a Jewish synagogue first and be speaking in, in the midst of the Jewish synagogue. Sometimes they would get kicked out, and so they would move to other locations in the cities. Sometimes they would go to a city and stay for a long time, and sometimes it would be very short, but that largely was dependent on the reception that they received. Sometimes they would get kicked out of cities, and so they left and went other places. Turbulence, though, was all a part of this. Different cities, but what was similar was they were hitting major, major turbulence everywhere they went. Talk about getting tossed up and down and all around. I mean, that was just par for the course for these guys as they were traveling to these places and talking about Jesus. In many cases, for the first time, people are hearing about this whole Christianity and Jesus and all of that. So it was a very turbulent time for Paul. I'm going to start reading in uh, Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 8. A couple of verses here. This is Paul and Barnabas making their their entrance into a city called Lystra. And if ever there was a city in which they went and faced a ton of turbulence, it was Lystra. You see it over there. The second from the last city that they visited. They're going into the city. In Lystra, it says, verse 8, there was a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet! At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Stop right there for a moment. So, this is how Paul and Barnabas then make their entrance into the city. Maybe we would think, oh, they're going to kind of ease their way into ministry and and maybe just kind of scope things out at first and just kind of get a sense of what's going on before they do anything rash, like healing somebody. Uh, no, they see the guy, right? Paul's, Paul's speaking. They see this guy who has, can't walk. They see the faith that he has. And so Paul immediately says to him, stand up. And he does. Boom, he's healed. It's like, welcome to the kingdom of God in your midst. Lystra. It's like this is how God comes to the city of Lystra. 
This is how the people get introduced to Christianity. It's powerful. It's strong. It's disruptive. Some people like it. Some people hate it. It's unsettling. Christianity is that way. You know, sometimes we forget because it's been around for so long. We forget that that's the way it is. When it comes into any culture, it disrupts. It makes people a bit uncomfortable. It demands a response, right? So Paul and Barnabas, they walk in. What they have just done demands a response. You can't just sit there. Oh, that's that's neat. No, you're going to have to go one way or the other. And a response is what they got. Let me keep reading in verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. This is great. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes, and they rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We, too, are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons, He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then we'll keep reading. Then some of the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. There's Antioch and Iconium is right before Lystra on on their trip. Some of the Jews came from these other places. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Stop right there. Christianity, the kingdom of God coming to Lystra, it demands a response. Wow, look at that response. The people, they see what Paul and Barnabas have done. They watched the healing And, of course, their initial response is, oh, my gosh, God has come from heaven. Let's worship. You're going to be Zeus. You'll be Hermes. That's funny. Okay, so they're now thinking Paul, Barnabas, Zeus, and Hermes. What's interesting is that Paul and Barnabas came to tell them that God came down in human form. But his name was Jesus, not Zeus and Hermes. And can you just imagine the utter shock on their faces as they're there and all of a sudden they're watching, oh no, right? They're bringing out the sacrifices. They think you are the deal. They think Paul and Barnabas because they've seen them heal. They saw this miracle that was performed. Of course, this is just devastating to the guys, to Paul and Barnabas. So they're like, no, they're ambassadors. They are emissaries. I mean, their entire life, their job is not to point to themselves, it's to point people to Jesus. And so what happens? It goes all completely wrong. 
You don't get it. No, don't praise us. Do not sacrifice. We're just like you. And so they go and they explain the gospel. They explain the grace of God. Again, they're trying to point the people back to God. God who alone deserves praise and worship and adoration. And so we think, oh, okay, maybe the crisis has been averted. Except that we just step into a bigger crisis. And that is that shortly afterward, a group of people who do not like Paul and Barnabas come into town from other cities. And it says they won the crowd over. And they won them over, convincing them that Paul and Barnabas really weren't gods. But they were worse than that. They were like Satan. (laughs) Okay, so now we're going to try to kill them. They weren't deserving of worship. They were deserving of death. It's like going from, we love you, let's worship, to like switch, we hate you, let's kill. Like that. Sometimes following Jesus is like that, I think. We follow hard after Jesus. We love him, we serve him, we treasure him, and people around us will see. It will just be seen. It will be seen. And having seen, then the question is, how how do people react? How will people react to seeing Jesus being lived out in our lives? Will they love me? Will they hate me? Will they do a little of both? Who knows? But what's really most important is not that we dwell on that and, you know, I want everybody to love me. That's not it. What's most important is that we never forget who we are in Christ Jesus. It's like staying grounded, knowing our identity in Christ. If people try to worship us, to be quick to remember, wait, I am not Jesus. I'm reminded of this all the time by my wife. No, that's a joke. But you know how, you know that is like you're in married life, for instance, and you know you're just messing up, right? But... But if people think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, I need to remember I'm not. I'm not Jesus. I exist to point people to Him. And I always want to be doing that. I am His servant. Praise belongs to Him and not to me. But we could easily go down to the other end of the spectrum. I mean, what if people think I am the worst thing that has ever happened on this earth? How do I respond to that? How do you respond to that? Have you ever had anybody hate you? Because of your faith? I mean, my response is, I think you're kind of right. I mean, I'm not the worst thing, but I'm close. I'm a mess. And I know I'm a mess. And you guys can't see it all, but I know I see it. But Jesus loves me, this I know. And that's a really important thing to hang on to. God knows every single thing about me. And yet to focus that back on God, He loves me anyway. He has poured His grace out into my life anyway. Talk about pointing back to God. He knows the mess that I am, and yet He has poured His grace into my life. Praise God. It's so important to remember that, especially when people think you're dirt. 
Don't argue with them. Just praise God that He loves you anyway. So Paul and Barnabas, they're treated like gods and then they're treated like dirt. And yet how important in the midst of it all to remember who they are, for us to remember who we are in Christ Jesus. Paul and Barnabas also learned in the midst of turbulence the importance of persevering, of enduring in the midst of the difficulty. They didn't give up when life became turbulent. I just want to read a little bit further down in uh, verse 20. So this is after they've taken Paul outside. They've tried to kill him. They thought he was dead. Verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Just two little verses that we might throw away. Okay, yeah, that's just the rest of the story. But how astonishing is it how Paul responded to this? Paul is stoned. He's almost dead. He probably looks almost dead. And it says he gets up, and instead of running as far away from Lystra as he possibly can, he goes back into the city. Like, what drives someone to do that? These people want you dead. They just tried to kill you. But he goes back into the city. Then it says the next day, Paul and Barnabas, they left for Derby, which is the next city. It's another city in the region. And then after ministering amongst the people there, They returned to Lystra once again. So he ends up, after this whole horrible experience, going back into the city twice. That's endurance. That's perseverance. That's Paul saying, I'm not going to put my tail between my legs and run away as fast as I can in the face of the difficulty. Instead, it's like he acknowledges, God, you have directed me here. Something's happening. And so in a sense, he doubles down and he heads directly back into the lion's den. Directly where we would say, no, don't go there. He actually speaks about this kind of endurance or perseverance in another of his books. In 2 Timothy 3, I'll just read it really quick. You don't need to turn there. But in 2 Timothy 3, this is later in life as he's looking back on some of the experiences that he had. He says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet, Paul says, the Lord rescued me from all of them. So here, a little bit later, he's recalling, he's looking back at some of the experiences that he had, at the persecutions that he endured. And yet he declares at the very end, it was the Lord who rescued me. And so you have Paul doing something that seems stupid. You're going to go back into the city. So he's enduring. He's persevering. And yet he acknowledges it is the Lord who is rescuing him in the midst of this. And so we have this neat This neat working together of what Paul is doing and what God is doing. 
And it's an important lesson for us because as we face turbulence, as we face difficulty, what is our reaction to that? Do we run and do we hide? Do we say, I'm never going back there again? Or are we able, like Paul, to persevere and to endure even when it's tough? Like Paul, putting our faith and our hope, not in our own ability to to endure, but rather putting our faith and our trust in God's ability to work mightily even in the midst of difficulty. I have no doubt Paul's faith was in God. You know, he went back into that city. He knew he was done. If it was not for God and God saving and working and protecting, he would have been done. It was the Lord who rescued me from all of those persecutions. So we live well in the face of turbulence by not forgetting who we are. We live well in the face of turbulence by persevering instead of giving up and then watching to see how God rescues. And then finally, we live well in the face of turbulence by remembering that God's plan is bigger, it's broader, it's more beautiful than anything we could ever imagine. I I think it would be hard to blame Paul if after this whole Lystra experience, he just said, okay, I think this plan was a failure. Right? We went in and we did the healing, and then they think we're God. Okay, that was wrong. And so then we tried to correct them a bit, and then they think we're Satan, and that's wrong. And they want to kill us. So let's, you know, let's leave Lystra, but, but let's just acknowledge it didn't work. Okay? This town did not work. God. He didn't do that. Maybe in, in part it was because he knew the truth that was expressed so well by a guy I like to read. His name is John Piper. But he wrote this. He said, God is doing a thousand things whenever he does anything. That's one sentence that's loaded with truth. But God is doing a thousand things whenever he does anything. And how many of those thousand things, I wonder, do we see? One? Maybe two? God is doing a thousand things. So our vision is very limited, right? We only see what we can see and maybe a little bit beyond that. But especially when life is difficult and turbulent, we're getting tossed up in the air. We're really only seeing about this much. We're just seeing here. And it looks bad. Our vision is limited and yet God is at work doing a thousand things. 999 of which we can't see right now. Paul might have only seen one thing. I am about to die. These people hate me. But God was at work. His plan was bigger. It was broader. It was way more beautiful. What's cool is if we go back and look at that, uh, that little section out of 2 Timothy. I read that verse out of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, it's called 2 Timothy, but it was written by Paul to Timothy. And Timothy was really Paul's son in the faith. Very much so. Paul mentored Timothy 
Timothy soaked up everything he could possibly get from Paul. A very unique relationship with Paul. And he, in fact, became a very important leader in the early church. But it's cool if you take a moment to look at where Timothy got his start. And I'll just read this out of Acts chapter 16. One small verse in Acts chapter 16. And again, it's like one of those throwaway verses. We just read through it without thinking. Paul, it says, now this is on his second missionary journey. We were looking at his first journey where he went to those places. He came back home and then he set out again on his second journey. And he went back to a number of these same cities again to check on their progress. It says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where he had been before, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And we can just read right through that. Say, yep, okay, that makes sense. He went there, he went there. This is who he saw. This is who that person is. But if we stop and, and, and listen to that again, he went and t- to Lystra, and it was specifically mentioned that this is where a guy named Timothy came from. Timothy, who would one day be a very important leader in the church. What? He's from Lystra? This is the place where they tried to worship and then kill him. This is the place where we wouldn't have blamed Paul if he would have said, I'm out of here. Nothing good can come from Lystra. Except Timothy came from Lystra. There's no way Paul knew all this was going on. When he's laying in the dirt about to die, again, he sees this. But God is doing a thousand things when he does anything. And so there's being raised up a leader in the church of all places from Lystra. God's plan. It's bigger. It's broader. It's way more beautiful than we could imagine. And so we are dealing with life and life can be tough and turbulence and getting tossed around and unexpected. Everything. And yet, yeah, like I said, we so often just see one piece. We see small. And yet God sees the entire picture. God sees that there's a Timothy waiting to rise up out of the troubles that we're facing. I really believe that. I believe God's doing things. And Timothy's are coming about. Most times we can't see them. We can't see him. But God has this plan to do something beautiful out of the mess that we so often find ourselves in. My prayer for us is that we would have eyes to see what God is doing. Especially in the midst of the difficulty and the turbulence. That we could see big picture. And have the faith to believe that God is doing something great even when we can't see it. I pray that we would have strength from God so that we could persevere to go back into the city of Lystra when everything around us screams, don't go. And then that God would give us the grace to remember who we are in Christ Jesus. People love us. People hate us. A solid foundation, grounded, knowing who we are in Christ.
All to the praise and the glory and the honor of the God who so richly deserves it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you by your Spirit would take words that you have spoken and bring them into our lives in a powerful way. Where change needs to be made, would you bring about change, we pray. Where encouragement is needed, Lord, would you bring encouragement, I pray. Where we need to persevere, Lord, would you encourage us in that. Strengthen us for that. Our desire is that we would honor and glorify you, not just on Sunday morning when we come to church, but all times. Because you are so worthy of praise that we can give. In the strong and the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.